six weeks away from the Haiti trip, and there's four of us from Creekside Church uh, going, uh, call your name if you're here. Tom Baird, are you here? Could you stand up, please? Okay, Tom and Bob Vaughn, stand up, and Rod Clarkson. Okay, and myself, we're going to Haiti, Lord willing. And Bob Calmer, yes. Bob, are you here? There's five of us. Okay, thanks, Tom. Um, the reason I'm talking here today, we've got uh, the lemonade and cookies stand going on next week uh, as a donation for the Haiti trip. In addition to that, there's a box that's already out there on the welcome table uh, for offerings for uh, the Haiti trip. And what we need is uh, funds for buying uh, uh, food and drink and some food items for Bible school for the kids and adults. And also, um, we want to hire some local Haitians to help us with work projects. And so we need some funds for that. And uh, we uh, also, there, there's a, just things that come up that we don't know about. Like somebody needs a generator or special hospital bill or something that we'd like to have some funds available for that. And then in the future, we'd like to have a, uh, a fund that is available. If you want to go to Haiti but you can't afford to go, uh, we'd like to help get you, get you there. So right now, we're, all of us are paying our own way to go to Haiti. So we'd like to have some money available for people that, that could go that really can't afford to. So with that said, I just want to... Uh, Lorelei uh, Markwood's not here, but she's eight years old. And she gave me an envelope full of money. It was $141 that she raised, her and her two siblings raised at a lemonade stand. And it's all donated for the Haiti trip. And then she gave me last Sunday a jar, I haven't even counted it yet, there's probably $30 in there of allowance money that she's made throughout the year just for Haiti. God put on her, I talked to her mom yesterday, and she said that... Uh, Ever since the, uh, we gave the presentation about the Haiti trip, Lorelei was moved to save up money for Haiti. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> let's, let's give a hand for all of our Sunday schoolers. Yeah, so, um, yeah. yeah, you can make, if you need a tax deduction, you can make checks payable to Creekside Church, put Haiti mission trip in the memo, and there's a box out there right now, and also the lemonade stand next week. Thank you. Okay, uh, one other need as we, as we think about uh, children and youth. Uh, our fall ministries are going to be starting up in uh, really short, I think a week from Wednesday, and there still is a need for volunteers, helpers for Awana. And this Wednesday, there, here at uh, Creekside, there will be a kind of a training, a ramp-up session, a chance for volunteers for Awana to, to come and get excited and energized for the year and here's some things about that. So uh, there's a table in the entryway. Mary Klein is back there. Um, grab a form to sign your kids up. And uh, if you're interested in helping out, be sure to let Mary know and uh, she can answer any questions or things you might have. So uh, we look forward to that. So thanks to all who, who do just, you know, so much great work with our kids and, and youth here. Uh, it's really, really exciting. You can open up to uh, Psalm 102 if you have your Bibles. Psalm 102, I'm going to start by telling you a story. The year was 2000. 
and I was uh, wanting to see something that had not taken place since the 40s. So my friend Andrew and I decided we'd take a little road trip to Michigan and watch the, the Iowa State Cyclones play in the Sweet 16 uh, in the Palace in Auburn Hills. So we take this little road trip, and we're diehard Cyclone fans, you know, grew up going with him to the games, and we're really excited about watching Iowa State play to hopefully make it to the Final Four. And so we get there, and we watch the first game, and Iowa State just destroys UCLA. Jamal Tinsley running circles around, you know, Matt, Matt Barnes and that whole crew. Uh, and Iowa State wins handily on to the Elite Eight. Now, Iowa State was probably the best team in the country that year, right, Alan? Yeah, so. And so here we are, you know, we deserving of the number one seed, but we get the number two seed and have to go play the number one seed, Michigan State, in Michigan. That hardly seems fair, right? No, it's not fair. Okay, so we go and we watch and we're sitting in this game and Iowa State is, is they're, they're winning most of the game and they're leading late in the game and a certain play takes place. Paul Shirley has the ball. He's driving to the basket and he gets fouled, right? Clear guy comes in, official says, yeah, there's a blocking, blocking foul on the Michigan State player. All right, good. We got the lead. We're going to add to this lead. I think he's going to shoot some free throws. Well, like a split second later, this other official comes in from the other side of the court with no view of the play actually taking place and runs up to the other official, and they confer and determine in the end that it's a double foul, which makes zero sense, a bunch of cheaters. And so they, they take the play away. The ball ends up going to Michigan State, and the whole game turns around, and Michigan State ends up winning the game. And, man, I was, I was crushed. I'm sitting there in that, in that stadium, crushed. I'm driving. We have a nine-hour drive way back home, and I don't think we said two words to each other the entire way home. Didn't eat, didn't sleep for weeks. I surely didn't watch the Final Four and watch Michigan State win at all. Ripped off by the whole system. And so, but I, I was in, like, this state of depression. Alan, you, you hear what I'm saying, right? Maybe it was just me. But here was like our opportunity to win it all. I was a huge Cyclone fan, and it didn't happen. And I remember this state of like feeling like hopeless and lost because there's this great sense of loss in watching my beloved Cyclones not make it to the Final Four, not win. You guys ever felt like that before? Like a sense of loss. Now, it doesn't have to be about the Cyclones. If you're a Hawkeye fan, you probably always feel that sense of loss. But, but just... In life, in general, when we have a sense of loss of something that we love greatly, there's a loss when it's gone, isn't there? And we might slide into this state of depression and hopelessness and anxiety and sleeplessness and loss of appetite. All these things happen with that sense of loss. Now, most of the time, there's something much more important than an Iowa State basketball game, right? But it still exists. And that's part of life. That sense of loss and hopelessness is part of it. As we read this story in Psalm 102, here is a guy who has this sense of hopelessness, this depression, this anxiety, this loss of sleep and appetite comes over him. And I think as we look at the story today and we look throughout the course of the Bible, we know a couple truths that we're going to find. Is that when we place our hope in anything in this world, it's going to let us down. 
And it could be something silly like Iowa State basketball, or it could be something like family. But even with that, that, for, that foundation, the Bible tells us, is like sand. It's like quicksand. We slip, it falls, there really is no foundation. As we see this story today and we read about this guy in Psalm 102, we get a sense of that. But we also get a sense of who God is. We get a sense of the one firm foundation we can have. And that's the lesson and that's the story we're going to see in Psalm 102. Two things we want to see, the impermanence of man and the immutability of God, that God is unchanging. An attribute of God is that he is unchanging, immutable. We know that, that, famous, uh, that famous hymn, right? On Christ the solid rock I stand, and all other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you uh, for that firm foundation we can have in Jesus. And God, as we look at this story in Psalm 102, and we see a guy who's, who's crying out in anguish, in, ang- in agony, crying out to you, God yet recognizes, even in the midst of all that he's dealing with, all the pain and the suffering, he has a foundation, an unchanging God. And God, as we look at the story, and we read about this, and we hear your words in Psalm 102, God, Help us to realize that all this world has to offer, it's gone. It's fleeting. It's but a vapor. It's sinking sand. But you alone are a firm foundation. Teach us that. Teach us that today. Teach us that in our life. Teach us as we leave here. We ask it and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's 28 verses. I am going to read them all, but I'm going to break it up. I'm going to read the first 11 for you, and then we're going to talk, and then we'll read the last 17. Psalm 102, starting in verse 1, and hear the words of this man in anguish. Verse 1, hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days vanish like smoke, my bones burn like glowing embers, my heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. In my distress I groan aloud, and I am reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse, for I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears because of your great wrath, for you have taken me up and thrown me aside. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Those are painful words, aren't they? Is that a man in distress? Is that a man who is hurting? Absolutely. Listen to some of the things that he says. In verse 2, he says, I am in distress. Verse 4, my heart is blighted. He's talking about a hopelessness that he has, distress and hopeless. Verse 4, I forget to eat my food. He has no appetite. Verse 7, he can't sleep. If you list these items off, we see grief 
and hopelessness and loss of appetite and sleeplessness and a sense of isolation going on in this man's life. If you put those signs in front of a doctor, you know what they'd say about this guy? Like, clinically, he, he's depressed, isn't he? He's depressed. And, and if we read this and we see grief and hopelessness and loss of appetite and sleeplessness and sense of isolation, if you're like me, we can look back at certain points in our life and maybe felt that way. Has anybody felt that way? Just me. No, not me. I know many of us have been in that point at some point in our life. And most of the time when we've experienced loss or sickness or, or, or maybe it's a financial or job situation and this comes upon us and we're stricken with it as this guy is. So what caused it? Like what caused this feeling within him? I think what causes it, we see it throughout uh, all of Psalm 102, but let me point a few of them in the first 11 verses. Verse 3, it says, My days vanish like smoke. Like smoke they vanish. Verse 4, it says, I withered like grass. Verse 11, it says, My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Anytime we see grass in that situation, it's a metaphor stating that what is here today is gone tomorrow. And so three times throughout these first 11 verses, we see that, that this man in his current state realizes that his life is a vapor. It's like the evening shadow, right? It's gone. It's like grass that withers away. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. He's experiencing a hopelessness from his radical temporariness. He's experiencing his radical, how radically temporary this life actually is. Right? And we, we sense that, especially in this guy's situation. It seems that it's probably caused from, from some sort of sickness. You see uh, his bones are like burning. He, he maybe has some sort of fever. You see later... Uh, verses uh, 23 and 24 says, In the course of my life, he broke my strength. He cut my days short. He did he, do not take me away in the midst of my days. So it seems like maybe somewhere in the middle of his life, and he's causing something, some sort of sickness that he feels is going to take his life. And so he's struck with this idea that this life is short, it's fleeting, it's here, and it's gone. I think of being... Uh, back in my childhood, and summer would come up. And you, you remember summer, and it seem, seemed like when I was a kid, summer would last forever. Like we went on these trips, we did all these fun, fun things, and then the older you get, right, it's like you're on a roller coaster that's never going to end, and you're just all downhill. It's taking off fast, right? That's what it feels like. And many of us probably, probably know, but it's the sense that everything is kind of slipping away. And this guy, feeling that impermanence, in his life, transient, like this life is going and it's at its end. And here's, here's the truth about this condition that, that he's in. Now, I'll tell you a story first to, to kind of illustrate that. It's, it's Friday, I was uh, driving over the mile-long bridge, and I stopped at a cemetery there. A friend of mine passed away last year, and I went to his graveside uh, just to visit. And if you've been in a cemetery and you sat at a graveside, it, it's a really a place where we reflect, right? And as you sit there, you, you realize your own temporary life. You realize that life is but a vapor. It withers. It goes. 
And as you walk around, and I tend to do this when I'm in a cemetery, and I look at the different headstones, and you see some lives that are short and some longer than others, but it's all the same, right? At some point, every one of them, there was an end date. And at some point for all of us, there is that end date. And even being in there, this, this isn't causing this condition. It's not causing this condition that, oh, I realize I'm temporary. It's revealing it. It's revealing a condition that, is, that does exist. And same thing for this man who's sick and realizing he's at the end of his life. That's not causing that condition. It's revealing a condition that is already there, that is already true that this life is but a vapor, that this life is temporary, that this life is fleeting, that's like the evening shadow, it's here and it's gone. And so his current condition is revealing what's already true. The next Psalm in Psalm 103, verses 15 and 16, the life of mortals is like grass. There's that word again, here today, gone tomorrow. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows it over and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. Alan reminded us a couple weeks ago that, you know, here soon nobody's going to remember you. Wasn't that uplifting of Alan to remind us of that? Nobody cares. But, you know, some hundred years from now, we probably won't be remembered. Maybe my grandkids, maybe, might remember me. A thousand years from now, I don't think there's anyone special enough in this room, no offense, that's going to be remembered. That's life, right? It's here, it's gone. And eventually, no one is going to remember. So the question for us then, knowing that all in this life, all in this world is fleeting, it's but a vapor, that the foundations of this world are like sinking sand. The question for us and the question for this guy in Psalm 102 is, where does my foundation lie? Does it lie in relationships? Does it lie in money? Does it lie in health? Does it lie in the cyclones? Where does my foundation lie? The Bible tells us that all of these foundations in this world are like sand, sinking sand. It even mentions here later in Psalm 102, we're going to see that even the, heaven, uh, even the mountains and the seas in his creation will be gone. All of it. All of this world be gone. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking stand. Of course, there's an alternative, isn't there? There's an alternative to everything this world, the foundations of this world has to offer. If you read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, it's talking about Abraham, and it says this, speaking of Abraham, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. There is nothing firm that we can put on our feet here on this world. It's all eventually going to be destroyed. Even I, I, as I was sitting around, we had brunch yesterday, and our little family of five sitting at the table having brunch. Isn't that awesome feeling when the family's together and you're all there? Even uh, for you that are more seasoned in life, is that how you say seasons in life, when you have your whole family together around the table. Isn't that a great feeling? Yet we know even eventually that, that'll be gone. People move away. People pass away. It's all fleeting. It's all gone. 
And they're great memories, and we, we live for those things. We want to influence people in our lives now for the kingdom, but even those are fleeting. There will be no physical, emotional, intellectual foundations. It will all pass away. And every so often, something happens in our life, much like what happens to this man in Psalm 102, that can shake our foundations, right? Can reveal what our true foundations are in our life. Uh, think of my, my friends Randy and Sherry Nesbitt right now, and, and many of you know Randy and Sherry. And you think of what they're dealing with right now and in their life, their son Trey battling cancer. Right, and here he is uh, a few weeks ago, and he, he gained 45 pounds in a, in a matter of a few weeks. And during that time, the, all this fluid uh, with, his, with his kidneys kind of entered. And so this is, this is what's going on. Well, even to read Sherry's uh, prayer journal and, and to read her on the Caring Bridge site is an incredible thing to see. Now, he's lost 65 pounds in the last week because the, the chemo's starting to kick in and the, the kidney's starting to function, but it's, it's crazy, right? And I can imagine nothing more difficult to deal with in life than, than your own child going through that. Like, I, I can't imagine anything more difficult than that. And yet, as you read this, you see, like, okay, this is struggle, right? I mean, this, to me, would cause much of what this man is going through. Yet the response that you see as well, like, still a praise for God, a hope that is found in a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. That in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of, of this great thing that they're dealing with, there's still a hope. Isn't that an amazing thing that even when we deal with something as difficult as that, you can find hope. And that's exactly what we see in this story of this man who feels like he's at his end. Let me read the rest of the chapter for you here in Psalm 102. It says this, But you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endears through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show your favor to her. The appointed time has come, for her stones are dear to your servants. Her very dust moves them to pity. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will despise, he will not despise their plea. Let this be written for a future generation, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to earth. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. In the course of my life, he broke my strength. He cut short my days. So I said, do not take me away, my God, in the midst of my days. Your years go on through all generations." In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. Isn't that amazing transition there? Where it goes from simple, man, he is in distress. 
He is depressed. And yet these last 17 verses, what do we see? He's praising God. How can he do that? Here is a foundation that is set in God. That no matter the trial and the tribulation, he can still praise God. And I think there's a couple truths we learn from him. The first is we have an immutable God, an unchanging God, a God who doesn't change his mind and a God whose character never changes. Verse 25, it says, In the beginning you laid the foundation of the earth. The reality about our God, he's unchanging because he exists outside of time. He existed before the creation of time and he exists outside of time itself. So the things that happen to us in our, our present and the things that, that happen to us in the future, to him, like this, this is all present. It's all present. There's no such thing as something that's new or old to an unchanging God. A little different from us, though, isn't it? We change all the time. You know, I, I think of, of growing up and different influences can change us, can't they? Different information can change our mind on things. We change often. We change all the time. But the implications of an, en- uh, of an unchanging God are endless. And you think about uh, maybe some of us in our life where we've done something and we will say, you know what, man, I just don't think God for- could forgive me in what I did. I don't think God could forgive me. I don't think I can forgive myself, and I know that God cannot forgive me. But when God gave us his love. And when God gave us Jesus, you know what? He saw all of us. He saw our heart. He saw our soul. He saw our history. All of that. Nothing was new. There's nothing that changes that influenced him. He knows us. And he's the only one who fully knows us, isn't he? And he knows our weaknesses, our strengths. He knows those things that we're ashamed of. He knows it. And he still chose to give us his son. What an incredible thing. People will also make claims on the Bible, right? This is written thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago. How can we accept something written thousands of years ago? Or people will make the statement that, you know what? Yeah, there's some, some cool stories, but it's changed, right? It's changed in that time. Right? We can look back in our own, our own history and th- see things Things have changed in the last hundred years, have have they not? They've changed. But our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and is unchanging. And the truths found, even things written thousands of years ago, are still true today. Uh, J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, said this. He said, It is true that in terms of space, time, and culture, they and the history to which they belonged are a long way from us. But the link between them and us is not found at that level. The link is God himself. For the God with whom they had to do with is the same God with whom we have to do. We could sharpen the point by saying he is exactly the same God, for God does not change in the least particular. Thus it appears that the truth on which we must dwell in order to dispel the feeling that there is an unbridgeable gulf between the position of men and women in the biblical times and in our own is the truth of God's immutability, that he is unchanging. And the same truth for this man that we see in Psalm 102 is the same truth for us, that we have an unchanging.
changing God. And if God doesn't change, then what the biblical authors say about him is still true, and the Bible is still relevant today. We have an unchanging God. And this man in Psalm 102 understands that. He encounters it. He believes it. But it's not enough just to know it, is it? It's not enough just to know that we have an unchanging God. He starts out praying. He's facing these trials and these tribulations, and he has this reality, this reality. But that reality is just not enough. Listen to verse 26. It says, They will perish but you remain. Speaking of the mountains and the stars and his creation, he says they're going to wear out like a garment. I mean, think about creation, mountains, how long they have been there. All of his creation, he says it wears out like a garment. My, my wife and I, we went uh, shopping for some clothes for me yesterday, and we brought some, some suits that weren't that old. And guess what? We got, we got rid of them. They'd worn out like a garment because that's what they are. They had worn out in a short amount of time. And this picture we get is that his creation wears out like a, like a dirty pair of socks. Right? It's here and it's gone. We get rid of it. That's the picture that we get from it. It wears out like a garment. The stars and the universe are nothing compared to God. And why? If, if they wear out like a garment, what, what are we? That the mountains and the stars are here and gone and wear out like that? Well, I mean, what about us? I was uh, showing a house this week, and I was uh, showing it to a lady named Michelle. I've been working with her since November. She's seen some houses, and this one she finally loved. House in Ankeny, she loved it. We went and looked at it, and we went back for a second time. We went back for a second time. Uh, her parents are with us, and we're walking, getting ready to walk in the front door, and this is not an exaggeration. There are hundreds, hundreds of gnats flying around the front door. I've been working for nine months, and these freaking gnats are going to destroy my idea of selling this lady a house. But here are all of these gnats, hundreds. And so we're like, okay, plug your nose, cover your mouth, close your eyes, or you're going to be swallowing some gnats here. And so we take off running into the house to get away from these gnats. So we leave later. Like, Kyle, I love these, this house, but... I don't know about these gnats. And so I said, all right, tomorrow morning, I'm going to meet the pest guy over there. So I call the pest guy, and we meet next morning. I show up at the house, 9 o'clock, and hundreds of gnats are now about 50 gnats. And I start talking to the guy. I'm like, okay, so what are these, and what's the issue? And he goes, you know what? If you're here tomorrow morning, these are going to be gone because they only live a couple days. That's good news. And sure enough, they were completely gone the next day. That's us. (laughs) If the mountains are like an old pair of garment that wither out, we're, we're like those gnats. Here for a couple days, and we're gone. My, my kids want a dog right now. Eva, you want a dog? She really wants a dog. And Karen thinks it's a good idea because it's going to teach some life lessons. I thought, you know, a great life lesson. I'll bring one of these gnats home. I'll give it to them. A <laughs> couple days, Daddy, my gnat's dead. Well, that's life, okay? It's a vapor. It's here, and it's gone. That sounds like something Alan would probably do, but I, I would not. But this is the picture that we get. They are here today. We are here today, and we are gone. We're like those gnats. And so it's tough to say, okay, you know, you, you think of this idea, you know, the, the mountains are like garments, and we are like gnats, here 
and gone. So it's tough because you look and like, okay, I, I, if we're like gnats, how can God, how can God invest and love on that? And so there's a balance between the two. We need to know someone, we need someone to trust that will never leave us, but we have to know he loves us. We have to know he's unchanging, but we have to know he loves us. Listen to verse 25 and 28 again. It says, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Then verse 28, here's the truth. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. Creation will wear out like a garment. The mountains, the seas, the stars, they will perish. But his servants will not. Those whom he loves and those who love him will not. Presence here means a relationship. The children of your servants will live in your presence, a relationship. And established is a commitment, a permanent commitment, not to his creation, not to the mountains or the stars or the seas, but to us, to us. He puts his everlasting love on his servants. An awesome truth. And so him... This man in the psalm who's going through this distress and this depression realizes this great truth that this God who created the heavens and the earth and has created me has put his love, his everlasting love upon me. And I will be in his presence and be established before him. And he clings to that truth. And so when we realize our condition, our condition that we're, we're gnats, our condition that we are but a vapor, that this life withers away and it's gone. And I cling to such a hope, such a foundation that God loves me. He loves me. How is this possible? Well, it's possible, possible because of the cross. We're going to celebrate with communion here a little bit how this is possible. That Jesus would, would come, that God would give his son that firm foundation. This psalm is actually, it's pointing us to a Messiah. If you read and go to Hebrews chapter 1, in Hebrews chapter 1, there's several verses. And what we're told in Hebrews chapter 1 is like, these are pictures. They are a type of the Messiah, right? And so one of the verses comes straight from Psalm 102. And so what we gather knowing that, okay, this is a type of Jesus, this is a type of Christ that this picture, this man in Psalm 102, is to be a picture for us of another one who would come and be in agony, another one who would come and die, another one who would come out crying to God, don't cut me off in the midst of my youth. And so this man in Psalm 102 is to, is to point us to Jesus, that ultimate one who was cut off, that ultimate one who suffered, that ultimate one who who was in agony for us, for us. We have one that was cut off. We have one that suffered. We have one that was in agony, and we had one that ultimately died for us. 
And because of him, we can have a firm foundation. So there's a problem, right? Because we know that, okay, the unchangingness of God, that's an attribute of God. We also know that God is love. And we also know that God is just. And so there's an issue, right? Because if God is love, then seemingly he would just, okay, you guys have screwed up, but I love you, right? I do that with my kids way too often. Not, not you, Ava, my other two. Uh, but God is just. So if God is just, then he, we must be punished for our sin. We must be punished for what we've done wrong. So he, he has to punish us. And so there's a problem, right? They can't exist with each other. He can't be unchangeably loving and overlook our sin because then he wouldn't be just. And he can't be unchangeably both. How does that happen? Well, it happens because of the cross. It happens because of Jesus. That the immutable became mutable, that the immortal became mortal. Jesus lost his everlastingness so we could have everlasting life. We haven't been faithful to him, but he has been faithful to us because of Jesus' death on the cross. And he can love us, as we see in one, Psalm 102, past the end of the world, past creation. Creation will cease to exist, yet his love for his saints will not. Isn't that awesome? That's how much he loves us. Our foundation is not in the things of this world. They will pass away. They will cease to exist. They are sinking sand. He is to be our foundation. There's a story. Brian uh, Chappelle shares this story. He, he uh, shares a story from his hometown. It's a story about two brothers. And these two brothers went out to play, and they were playing in the sandbanks by the river. And so they run down to the sandbanks down the river, and they run up, and there's this large mound of sand. Unfortunately, the mound wasn't solid, and they sank. And so dinner time rolls around, and the mom panics because the kids aren't here. Kids aren't home for dinner, and so they start a search party. The family, friends, neighbors, everybody goes out to look for these two boys. And finally, they, around, they arrive down by the sandbanks, and they see the younger brother in the sand up to his chest. So only his shoulders and his head above, and he's unconscious. And so they start digging him out. They clear the sand around to his waist. And he finally comes to and he wakes up and they said, where's your brother at? And he says, I'm standing on his shoulders. The older brother had given his life for the younger brother. The sinking sand, the brother became the foundation. And with the sacrifice of his own life, the older brother lifted the younger to safety the tangible and sacrificial love of the older brother literally served as a foundation for the younger brother's life. And what a picture of what Jesus has done for us. He gave his life, and in giving his life, he has given us that foundation, the firm foundation so we can live, we can live everlasting, that he would love us, we could be his servants, even when creation is gone. That's what God has done for us through the work of Jesus on the cross.
And so we want to remember that and celebrate that this morning. And we think of Jesus, his body broken, his blood shed, to be our firm foundation. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for, for Psalm 102, for this story of this man in agony. His death, the end of his life in front of him. And God, we thank you of the picture that it is of our Savior. God, we, we see this man in ang- agony and death and his life before him, yet he cries out and he knows and he speaks all of this truth of who you are, that you are unchanging, that you are loving, that you are our foundation and any other foundation is sinking sand. God, if we're here this morning and we have not encountered this firm foundation, God, may we, may we come to know your son, Jesus. May we come to know his life that he gave up for me, for us, that we could be his servants in his presence, have a relationship with him forever, even when the mountains and the seas and the skies cease to exist you will still love us God thank you for that great hope that we have it's in the name of Jesus we pray